and he made out a man, dressed in rags with tangled, unwashed, blonde shoulder-length hair, blue eyes, and a shaggy beard matted with food and refuse. It was the American. Nadim had seen him begging outside the luxury hotels and steel-and-glass office buildings that stood only blocks away from Nadim's squalid slum. Nadim knew the American lived in the worst part of the slum, in a lean-to, that stood close by an open privy. Most of his neighbors avoided him, because they thought he was insane and violent. Nadim had heard a rumor that he had badly beaten some men who had tried to extort money from him. Let's go, the American said in perfect Urdu. Another surprise, since the American was so silent that many thought him mute. A filthy hand gripped Nadim's elbow and propelled him out of the alley. Thank you, Nadim said when they were back on the street. Then he saw the blood seeping through his rescuer's rags. You're hurt, Nadim said. The American looked down, then said shit in English. He pressed his hand against the wound and stumbled. Nadim made a quick decision. Come with me, he ordered. I'll be okay, the American said. Then he gasped and his knees buckled. You will not be okay if you don't get medical attention. Nadim snaked his arm around the man's back and looped one of the man's arms across his shoulder. Together, they shuffled away from the alley toward the mosque. When Imran Afridi's housemen escorted Rafiq Nasrallah onto the patio in the rear of his mansion, Afridi was sipping mint tea and watching the waves break on Clifton Beach. Karachi was stifling this time of year, but the breeze from the Arabian Sea cooled the air in the wealthy suburb where Afridi had built his estate. The Pakistani businessman was wearing a long-sleeved silk shirt that clung to his broad shoulders. When he stood to greet Nasrallah, the loose sleeves moved with the breeze. Afridi was five feet seven with the barrel chest and thick legs of a wrestler. His straight black hair was receding from his prominent forehead, but he had compensated for his loss by growing a thick mustache below his hawk-like nose, making him look vaguely like a desert sheikh in an old Hollywood movie. Nasrallah was two inches taller and as solidly built as his childhood friend, but his full head of thick black hair and his smooth skin made him look much younger than forty. Nasrallah and Afridi were sons of wealth, and had been educated at Cambridge before returning to Pakistan to work in their family's varied enterprises. They had also embraced radical Islam together. Afridi could tell from the strength of his friend's embrace that Rafiq was excited. We may have struck gold, Imran. Rafiq said, as the two men sat on either side of a circular glass-topped table. Rafiq gave Afridi a photograph. Rafiq stopped talking while his friend studied the picture. The smile disappeared from Afridi's lips, and his countenance reflected intense concentration. He calls himself Stephen Reynolds, but I don't think that's his real name. He's twenty-three and from Ohio, where he was studying engineering, Rafiq said. Also, he has a background in chemistry. Go on, 
Afridi said when Rafiq paused to make certain his friend understood the full import of what he had just said. A few months ago, Reynolds looked nothing like he does in this photograph. He was begging for a living, and his home was a hovel in the slum where one of Imam Ibrahim's students lives. This student was attacked by two robbers. Reynolds saved him, but he was stabbed. The student took him to the mosque, and the imam summoned a doctor. The wound was serious, and Reynolds was suffering from malnutrition. He also had a drug habit. The imam nursed him back to health. While he was at the mosque, he and the imam became close, and Reynolds told him why he was living in a Karachi slum. Reynolds went to a private high school that offered Arabic, and he became fascinated with Islam. He surfed websites and entered chat rooms. In college, he continued to study Middle Eastern languages and came in contact.